0: Hello, I'm Catherine,
1: and I'm Will,
0: and a very warm welcome to episode three of The Run-In. We're going to be having our interview today with the one and only Kat Taylor, and we will also be having a little bit later on in the programme, looking forward to the walk selection races and also to the JOK Chasing Sprint. We should start with I think a recap of what's been going on since our last podcast and one of the big things that's been happening is of course the Venla and nu relays. Uh, Will you were out there for uh, running a nucola but mm. we should start today um, with Venla. Tell me um, what that's all about.
2: So Venla is a four leg relay starting at two in the afternoon in. Finland. Essentially, it's the biggest weekend in the Finnish sporting calendar. It's around 30,000 people that turn up, 20,000 doing doing ukulele itself, and then about 10 to 15,000 doing the Venla relay. So four legs, um, between five and a half kilometres and eight kilometres. Mass start event of 1,500 teams. So quite hectic out in the forest. Um, there's quite a lot of prestige to this one, this is this is the biggest race of the year outside of WOC. So if you win this race, you, you can pretty much coast through the rest of your orienteering career, you've done it, you've ticked off a massive monument in the orienteering world. Um, and even if you, if you win a leg of the relay as well, that is considered a huge win um, for individuals, um, even outside their team results. So this is the real focus of most Scandinavians and club orienteers across Europe's um, season.
0: Bragging rights for Venla go to Fredericksad Ski Club. A uh, particular shout out to Camilla Olarson on the last leg, who ran a fantastic last leg. But mm. really, I think it was their consistency uh, of all of their runners in the team that really made them stand out in this relay. A lot of other teams uh, maybe had like one really great runner or a couple of really great runners, or they, you know, they made a mistake like um, IFK Gothenburg's Sarah Hagstrom lost four minutes on the last leg. Halden lost uh, seven minutes on leg two, but yeah, Frederick Sad ski club, really great performance
2: all round. Mm. And that's really what you need in these, in these relays, which are longer than three legs. You need consistency. And if everyone just has an average run, that, that's what the teams go in there thinking. About. We all just need to have, that average run, that consistent performance, and we'll get through. That's exactly what French type did. They just smashed it through IFK, okay, you know, I think about three kilometres to go. And no looking back, really, for Alousson. She's in great form coming up to her Home World Championships. And, and it was, yeah, it's just clinical. Uh, she was in the team with her sister as well, so um, Maria. So a great little family, family victory as well. And, um, yeah, it's pretty impressive to see.
0: Yeah, really, really great, uh, and we, we're making it sound very easy. Of course, it's not. Um, let's pick out a couple of uh, a few of the Brits. Of course, a lot of Brits being taking really crucial spots on first teams for some of the, the clubs in Scandinavia. Um, which Brits do you want to pick out, Will?
2: Well, I think Jo Shepherd. So let's let's start with her. First leg, um, hit the first TV control. Second place behind her, just behind her teammate from the first team, Sabine Halsrud. You know, and had a really strong run all the way through fighting in those top positions um all the way just slipped back a bit at the end towards 25th place but you know job done for her back you know in touching with the uh with the top 30 which is where her team probably would have wanted to be um leg two grace Malloy um running for Caliban Rassi. I think this is one of the first years she's run for Caliban. a very prestigious club on the men's side of things with Thierry Georgiou running for them for a number of years and winning multiple Eucharist with them. So a club with a lot of history. um, And she was 36 on her leg on leg two. Kind of a bit harder to do that on the second leg because the packs have spread out that bit more. You're Mm -hmm. you're kind of fighting through the places that little bit more. Whereas on first leg, um, coming from someone who runs first leg quite a lot, you can get dragged through a little bit by other people around you. So Mm. great to see from someone who is only in the first year twenty as well. So great great before uh she runs Jaywalk later in the year.
0: Yeah, and then she went on to run sixth leg at Yukala, picking up hundred and twenty two places for fourth valley Orienteers at the um straight after Venla, so that's again really impressive and Calvin mm. kind of Rusty ended up coming thirty first. So
2: Yeah, very good yeah, run.
0: Pretty good, pretty instrumental in, in the team.
2: Yeah, definitely. I always think it's a bit a bit mental when the girls go out and run the ukulele legs afterwards because all I'd want to be doing is resting and sleeping, you know, after such a stressful afternoon. But they love it; they go out and race again against all of the guys and smash them all. So, and then we've had there's quite a few Brits on leg four as well. Yes, so Charlotte Watson was in 40th place on leg four for Lillemarka, which is um, her Oslo-based club. Now Charlotte moved out to Oslo um, during the winter this year, and has been. She's, but she's been with the club for quite a few years now, so. She's quite a mainstay in their first team and she picked up eight places along the way on fourth leg. So really strongly anchoring them through to the finish there, which is kind of what you expect from Charlotte. She's quite cool when it comes to these high pressure situations. So they're really reliable. And then Megan Carter Davis at 20th place on leg four as well. And leg four is really where you see the, the real gun runners for each team and mm. taking on the, the, the role of just getting them through to the finish. So to come 20th place against some of the best people in the world is, is fantastic and just shows the kind of shape she's in. Her team, um, Ryman and Rick Menti were 52nd in the end, but she managed to pick up 25 places on last leg, which is no mean feat because uh, it takes a lot to, to gain that on that last leg. And, um, and Kat Taylor as well, who was in the 49th in the leg, picked up 11 places, um, for O.K. Sutherstone. And we'll be chatting with her a bit later.
0: Yeah, and then so Fernla happens. Venla finishes all over, and then uh, the the lights begins to fade, the, and then everybody starts getting ready for Yukla. Yes,
2: yeah, so this is this is the moment after the women's relay finishes that all the guys on the first leg start, oh, yeah, feeling the nerves, and I was not enjoying the couple of hours before I left our accommodation for the for the relay. So Yukla seven legs. Um, start at 11 at night, runs through to 7 in the morning. The leg lengths were anywhere between just over 7 kilometers through to 13 kilometers, so not as far as sometimes we normally see. Normally, there's a leg in there of around about 15k or something on on last leg. So 2,000 or so teams. Um, pretty intense start. It was a uh, it was on a road that was only about I think about six or seven meters wide, so ten abreast down to To two thousand deep, made it quite a long crocodile of orienteers heading out into the night. Mm -hmm. Because the pressure just builds throughout the day. You see the women race. You you know, okay, let's see what I can see on the TV cameras. What's the terrain like? What what the TV controls looking like? Because you'll likely use the same TV Mm controls. Can you get any information of where the start point is? You know, um, what the changeovers look like? Where the last control is? All of that information you're trying to get in the women's race, while at the same time thinking. I've got to stay calm, I'm running in eight hours. Um, so just ramps and ramps and ramps. And I find when I get to the arena, I'm fine. And, and when I'm on the start line, it's okay, but i waiting beforehand. But it's a nightmare. Um, but yeah, so quite a few Brits were doing the first leg. I think there were a few um, on the really big teams who were going for the win. So you had Alan Cherry of Island whose team was seventh last year. He's a very good first leg runner, he's come in the top ten a few times. You have Johnny Crickmore, who's um, OK Ravina's team, were looking for a win up 15th last year. Assassin Chaplin on second leg for Halden. Um, and and various others from other English-speaking countries like Tim Robertson of New Zealand as well. for a few days. So, there's a good mix of Brits out there on the first leg, and uh, yeah, it made quite a good company for me.
0: Yeah, well, so Sasha, who's running for the second Halden team, finished uh, 11th, only 19 seconds down on the lead. Alan Cherry in 14th, yourself, Will, in 16th. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also had Alex Carcus in 46th. That's a minute 45 seconds down. And Peter Harkinson in 47th. Um, how did you enjoy the the forest and the run?
2: I loved it, actually. Everyone was saying beforehand how physical the forest was. Um, that there were a lot of brashings on the floor, there were a lot of rocks everywhere, and I did feel that in the first little section. I ended up just out of the start. I, I wasn't expecting the start type to be where it was, to be perfectly honest. We had a separate mm. start type to the women, so we suddenly turned left into a forest, and I thought we had 400 meters still to run to get to the start type. So showing <laughs> me I wasn't looking at my map much in that first run. But um, I ended up on my own very briefly after just a couple of minutes in the forest. And at that moment I thought, like, oh god, hang on, I've completely messed this up. Um, popped out on this road, saw this long route round that went had a path all the way to my control and looked right. And there was no one else really going that way. There's only two lights ahead of me and 500 behind with a load of people just piling straight into the forest. So took a little bit of a risk and, and ended up running all the way around and, and managed to hit my, my gaffle in the lead, which was a very surreal and, and lovely moment that I found myself in the in the front of this relay. And then for the next kind of hour, it was, it was Alan, Cherry, Sasha and myself all exchanging kind of in the front five places of the pack, just toing just and throwing, uh, controlling it quite well, sitting in and not doing too much work. And then with three controls to go, Sasha and I found ourselves briefly off the front in the lead with, with one Swedish guy. So mm. it, was, it was fantastic just running with those two head to head all the way to the finish. And, and sadly, Sasha and I got swamped. Just as we we're coming up the last hill to the final public controls, but that was a, a, yeah, a fantastic experience and, and one I won't forget actually in a hurry.
0: Yeah, it's such a, a special thing that that you can run and, and just with all those bodies around you. Why? Why particularly is first leg so in so interesting and so special?
2: I think I would say it's it's the the pressure of it which. I mean, the pressure, it's, it's horrible when you're out there if you make a mistake, but if you hit it cleanly, everyone says, ah, oh, you know, it's, it, if people have a bad run on it, they, they kind of, uh, the first time they do it, they kind of shy away from it a bit and say,
0: oh,
2: yeah, you know, it's, it's too intense, there's too many people everywhere, I can't get through the pack, you know, and it does get quite aggressive if you're further down the train. People try and surge up to get to the front, so the pace is always hot, but then people make mm. mistakes. But if you're in that front of kind of 10 people, it's really quite calm. Because no one wants to mess it up because they know they're mm-hmm. leaving, and I don't know. It's quite nice when you're actually in, in control, and when you feel in control, when everyone else is losing their heads, you can kind of feed off that and thrive off it. And go, you know what? I'm I'm absolutely um, I'm running this running this pack at the moment. I can tell he's in control. I can tell he's stressed because he's just sprinted up from 100 meters back.
0: I think it's the feedback that you're doing good orienteering that, yeah yeah exactly you know you can tell by the position you're in and that you're feeling calm that your orienteering is going really well, and that's mm. presumably what the good feeling is uh what other who who other Brits do you want to um pull out from some of the other legs
2: i don't I don't want to talk about it, but I feel like I'm gonna have to lead off with Brad mm. who had a, a bit of a shocker on last leg coming into the second last control he managed to uh, Miss punch uh, just by misreading the control code that he was um, that was hitting with a couple of controls to go. He was with William Lind of Marlins and and yeah, just didn't read the code and was in the middle of a sprint finish and, and just got carried away in the moment, which was massively frustrating for him and, and for his team. And I spoke to him about it afterwards in the airport. And it was, yeah, it, it's never nice to to kind of cost your team a result. It wasn't the result they were going for. They were mm-hmm. looking for a, a top five and they're in 20th so they're a bit down on what they expected but it is a horrible moment to, to have to tell your team you've missed punch on the final section of you of mm-hmm. whatever position you're, you're finishing so yeah that was a that was a real shame and um I think Ralph is in he's in good shape at the moment so that's, that's not representative of where he is but frustrated for that and he had Matt Speak on his team as well who um picked up eight places on his leg and and, and gain time for them on leg four, so yeah, that was obviously disappointing for him. And, and it was it was actually kind of a tough night for the Brits in in general. Um, Graham Brisswood had a fantastic leg on leg five for Calvin Rasty. For him to be third fastest on the leg and, and going into the WOC selection races, you know, I imagine that goes pretty well for him in Scandinavian terrain of what he can do um, for the middle distance. So I don't believe he's going for the long distance mm-hmm. for WOC this year, so. Then we have a, a couple of other disappointing results. Again, it probably kill me for, for bringing it up, but um, I imagine a lot of people will have seen the GPS trace from Johnny Quickmore on first leg. I, I chatted to her about it last weekend at Scottish Spring, and he said that he was just following the gaffle and um, ended up being in the wrong train. Kind of knew sort of where he was, but ended up hitting control and didn't recognise the feature at all all of the lights suddenly blew up around him going in different directions, just panicked, and then ended up losing 12 minutes on the first control, which for his team, obviously, that were going for the win, a pretty devastating start to the relay. He battled through in the end, I think he hit the first radio split in 780th, and ended up in 380th, so, you know, getting 400 places through to the end, which isn't easy to do when you've got to get through that many people when the uh the trains are forming because that's then the quickest place to go and if you step out of the train you're in slightly thicker terrain that hasn't been bashed down by those in, yeah. in front of you. So and my third leg runner and Hector as well. Hector Haynes had a had a had a bit of a tough one on, on leg three, um, losing a bit of time for us but yeah, he's uh he was running really strongly out there but you yeah, know, he's uh he had some good races at the World Cup the weekend before, so I, I don't think this is an indicator of where he shapes out. I think he's, he's going to be a very good shape when we hit the test races next weekend. But yeah, that that dropped us down the order slightly in the end, and actually meant that John, yeah, Johnny's team beat us in the end after even after um losing that time that John lost on first leg. So a tough night for some Brits. Um, obviously, very good for Sasha, Cherry, and me. But yeah, um, a tough one for some others.
0: Yes, we should talk, though, about the winners um, who were Stora Tuna, uh, a team we d- we didn't predict uh, to be fine uh, <laughs> no, <not at> <laughs> for the win uh, before this relay. Predicted um, the women's?
2: We- can that yeah, count? we
0: did for the women's because <laughs> they have Tova Alexandersson, but not for the men's. Uh, the men's team containing four Svensk brothers. So they are a very young team. Mm. And Emil Svensk on last leg had a really fantastic run beating um, Matthias Gibberts and Florian Hovald. Um, with other teams just kind of losing it at other points in the relay, they managed to just be consistent again.
2: Yeah, and it's the same thing, you know, and I spoke to a couple of other people about this. This just seemed like a year where if you had good, consistent runs, any team could have won, because the big mm. teams weren't really showing up. Story soon, just consistent the whole way. And I think Jesper Svensk is the youngest one, and he was on first leg with me, and he runs like an animal. He's just so aggressive in the in the train, it's ridiculous. And they just pulled it together. And I actually thought that Emil was going to get caught on last leg. I was convinced by it that, that even Matthias Kibbutz was serving or, or how the Tampere Corinto would go through and, you know, Tampere it was it was pretty much on their home terrain in Kangasala, which is just about twenty minutes to the southeast of, of Tampere City. Emil isn't the most reliable Forest orienteer, he's obviously very good, but he is a got, has got better results in Sprint orienteering historically. So I was almost convinced that, you know, he's gonna get caught and he just didn't. He just stayed you know, stay consistent, stay calm and and they yeah, managed to take home I think quite an unexpected and uh, historic win.
0: Okay, uh, we can also talk a little bit about Sprint Scotland that took place at the weekend, and uh, you were there, Will, why don't you tell us a little bit about it?
2: Yes, yeah, so Sprint Scotland is an event that um, Graham Griswood has organised for the last four or five years. It comes in the form of a couple of training events on the Thursday and Friday, and it's really geared around elite um orienteering in Scotland. So this was a kind of a focus on um Edinburgh twenty twenty two. So building towards that over the next few years, Graham's going to be um probably increasing the coverage of Scotland, the relevance of the races, and the you know there's some talks that go alongside it from um the sprint stars of the international scene. So Oyster Orthodox gave a talk this year on the Saturday afternoon. And um there's quite a strong men's and women's field so norway sent a dedicated team of sprint orienteers over mm-hmm. to scout out the terrain for what 2022 already you know three wow. years out from it so I thought she it, really impressed yeah i yeah, know it's it, it's a bit ridiculous really but they were maybe they were taking it more seriously than the brits were it was interesting so for, for the brits we hadn't done a a proper individual sprint race since the the jk or i certainly <laughs> hadn't <laughs> We'd had the British sprint relays in May and we'd had the World Cup Sprint Relay um a couple of weeks ago as well. But this was really being thrown back into it. So Graham has mapped um Bowness, just to the west of Edinburgh, we were met with really intense housing states um or so short, sharp alleyways, you know, surprisingly hilly as well. The first race had hundred and thirty metres of climb on it. Um really good wide route choices, so there's constant challenge on every single day on, on every course actually. And, uh, yeah, it was really good fun. I really enjoyed it, especially the, um, the first stage. It was, I don't know, return to Sprint RTM is always a bit interesting because you think you're just going to not have the speed for it after doing forest and, and be a bit kind of heavy legs from all the, the trudging through marshes. But it's just fantastic fun. And, uh, if, if we get courses like we did at Sprint Scotland, I think we would be very lucky in WOC in, in a few years time.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about another sprint race uh, coming up in the podcast, the JOK Chasing Sprint, uh, as well as the walk selection races. But first, let's have a little chat with Kat Taylor. Kat, thank you very much for joining us Um, down the line. Can you explain um, to the listeners where you are now?
3: Yeah. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm uh, I'm in Idra at the moment, which is kind of about halfway up Sweden and um, next to the border with Norway. And I'm I'm just on training camp. Well, there's there's kind of three days races here, and um, otherwise been doing quite a lot of training. It's it's really good orienteering, so it was uh, definitely worth coming up here. I'm kind of in the middle of a big trip at the moment. I'm uh, came straight from straight from Finland from Yukla, and uh, now I'm here. And then next I'm off to uh, do some more walk training uh, in Norway.
0: Um, you mentioned Yukla, so how was your Venla experience this year?
3: Um, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't describe it as a vintage year for me. Uh, it's been a bit uh, difficult this summer, kind of getting back into racing after so many injuries, and uh, I'm kind of on the way. And actually, venla was like Venlo was the first uh, race that I did where I felt really very strong in the terrain and uh, really kind of like myself again. But um, unfortunately, I was uh, I think I was thinking a little bit too much about that and kind of getting a bit run happy and not um, not actually doing my job. Which uh, yeah. I mean, it's okay having a race like that on a on a day when it's just you, but um, you know, I have some teammates relying on me, and I don't think I did a very good job, so I wasn't very happy with my Venla.
0: Can you tell us a bit about the like the experience of what it's like running Venla, and like particularly last leg that you did this year? Um, well, I think
3: I've had like two different experiences. I had like the years when I was running with Lene, when uh, or the years when I was running in the first team with Lene, when I didn't I didn't run the last leg. I ran. Uh, usually it was first or third leg usually mm.
1: um
3: and then it was uh we were expected to kind of you know go out in the front and come back in the front and uh it didn't always work out like that but I tried to uh try to do that and there's a lot of pressure and and now uh usually it's uh it's my job to kind of pick places on the last leg uh for set of turn which um it's I mean it's also fun it's just I think like the the thing that's most different to like other races, if you run a later leg in Venla, the forest is packed it's it's so full with people mm. uh like mostly people second, third leg runners, and you have to be kind of patient, it's frustrating, you sort of like you're kind of running along, you find yourself like in a queue almost and uh and trying to like kind of get out of the out of the queue and overtake can be difficult, you know if it's rough terrain it's mm. uh can be tricky but um I mean it's it's a great experience always it's something really special uh, something everything should uh, some something everyone should do at some point so
0: yeah absolutely it's still on my list um unfortunately um
3: <laughs> yeah I absolutely need to <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah I, really, I really do I wish I was there this year is there like any way you kind of approach that race differently to to say like a standard world cup race or, or other race
3: I think once you're used to it, and once you've run a few of them, I guess like I have, this is my tenth one. uh, You know, kind of a few of the different scenarios to expect, and uh, I think like a big part of it is just kind of taking in the spectacle. Yeah, the big thing is just there's so many people, and um, I think you know you really should take the chance to kind of take in this whole atmosphere, which is you know especially it's something that you don't you just don't get at any other race even even in any other race that you've been to that you think is a big race then you go to yuklo and it's like it's just it's completely next level so um i think yeah you just got to make sure you kind of take the time to uh, actually enjoy it while you're there and uh i wouldn't say that you know the orienteering secondary to that is usually really good uh, really good quality race but it's the only thing of its kind on the calendar really if anyone's going to yuklo any year that's my tip just like you know just really Take it all in. It's always quite an exciting one at Venla. I mean, you know, sometimes Yucala spreads out so much. It's the same with Tiamila, like, you know, the, the men's relay spreads out a lot and and the women's usually kind of stays a bit tighter and uh, there's a few more kind of like changes in the in the lead, you know, all the way through. Eight kilometres, I think your leg was Kat, the running leg four yeah it's not it's not usually quite as like you know that you don't get quite the short and the long legs like you don't hear like they're usually a little bit more even but it was technical it was tricky um and I got caught out I got caught out on or just being really stupid on one control near the beginning but then on to the two kind of longer legs later on that we had both of them I just didn't it was a confidence thing didn't quite have the confidence you could definitely you know I wasn't the only person you could see it happening to other people as well it, near the end as well you're kind of coming up onto a, a quite vague hillside and it's uh you know once once you start doubting then it, it kind of yeah it all compounds and uh yeah I can I'm not surprised that there was a lot of mistakes going on not at all.
1: A lot of people going going on beforehand about how how vague the map was and that the previous map of the area was incredibly detailed, incredibly rocky, uh, but the new map had been essentially simplified as if you were doing a simplification training where they just removed half the detail off the map. And I think what people don't realise is when you're at the end of the relay or on any leg essentially at Venla because there's so many people around all the time there's going to be someone who is in danger of overtaking you or you being overtaken by them you're constantly on edge of what's that feature and what am i looking for next what am you know what direction am i taking down this hill that i don't know it's it's a bit different to a normal relay that people have probably run in britain because it it's just high pressure all the time there's not a single moment where you can really relax
3: there's such a you know such a high quality field you know if you're anywhere sort of near Near the top fifty, the runners that you're running with are, you know, really very good runners, and you know, there's going to, there's always going to be someone who gets it
1: right. Like your team's Sudertorn, uh, a club I've run for as well, based in South Stockholm. It's a, it's quite a young team, isn't it? I believe. Yeah,
3: Tilda's going to be running European youths this weekend. The first selection for Sweden, which is nice. Like everyone else in the team is like eighteen years old, and <laughs> I just. Like, <laughs> the average age or something it's ridiculous <laughs> but I mean that's that's nice it means that you know we should be if we can be this good at, you know at the moment then hopefully people stick around and we can you know aim higher and higher because I think yeah I don't think we should shy away from you know aiming quite high it's what I enjoy um just kind of going with a team that you know people don't look at on paper as uh, with any expectations but you know if you know that you can do something and then trying to go and, you know, prove that you can on the day. That's, uh, it's really cool. And and we kind of, we managed it last year, we were top 30 last year, which was like a big, a big moment for the club, I think.
0: So um, you mentioned, of course, like that's your full, your first, like m- that kind of major race coming back from uh, injuries you've had. So can you tell us a bit about, about the winter that you just had with, with injury and cross training, things like that?
3: <laughs> yeah it's not exactly gone to plan it's uh it's been a bit yeah it's been a bit of a, a bit of a struggle at times actually but um so I moved home kind of last September I moved back to the UK I moved to Sheffield and uh I was like I've been enjoying stuff in Sheffield I've been really sort of happy there and uh really kind of like found almost a new like motivation for training and and it was yeah it's going great and then sort of immediately got injured by the end of October and Mm -hmm. it was something that I thought would kind of sort itself out in my end of season break and it it didn't and it was a little bit up and down through the winter I managed to build up a bit and then it it all kind of kicked off again it it got to sort of it got to like the middle of March and I wasn't running at all Mm -hmm. and uh, and that's kind of when you start to wonder like you know can I can I make walk work is it ridiculous but Actually, since then, it's I took a really sort of careful approach and uh, I've been building up sort of week on week and, uh, yeah, from there. But, I mean, it's been it's been an awful lot of time, like sweating on the cross trainer and sort of doing hours and hours on the bike um, at home. It's not it's not been a usual winter by any means. I mean, for, both for good and bad. It's, uh, I think some good things have come out of it as well, actually, uh, as well as just the, the pain <laughs> that it's been
0: whats What's some of those good things
3: I think like in the past like my confidence with racing's mainly been built about the built around the kind of the amount of running i've been able to do the volume that i've been able to do, and I've really sort of relied on that to kind of like uh, to underpin everything else and uh, when that's been taken away i've sort of you know I've been really f- forced to think about the quality and, and to plan really carefully the, the orienteering and the terrain running that I do do and, and to kind of, you know, really get the most out of everything. I think that's been one thing. Yeah, it's kind of forced me to, to get out of my comfort zone a little bit and get out of a rut. The other thing is that, like, you know, after sort of years of running the same kind of intervals and, and being in the same kind of routine, I, I almost, you know, especially when you've got to a peak where you've been, like, quite a high level of performance and every time after that you kind of if you come back down from there every time you run a session um you kind of you have going through your head like oh you know what's my time on this interval is it as good as it could have been a year ago is it as good as it should be now you kind of you tense up a little bit and um i found that i was you know almost yeah getting a bit yeah not feeling um great in my in my running sessions because of that i'd be too you know kind of overthinking them all when I've been forced to do intervals on the cross trainer, it's completely different because I just, you know, so I don't care about my output on the cross trainer. I don't care about my sort of, you know, whatever speed it tells me I'm going or like whatever kind of watts is coming out. Like all I care about is like that my heart rate is getting high, that I'm working really hard and that it's uh, feeling like a good training. So, you know, almost I've been able to, to relax into the hard sessions more and really kind of push myself physically without being worried all the time about the kind of you know about the performance I've had a few times like over the last few years where I've you know reached a really high level and it's been high enough so that you know you have to come down a little bit before you can come back up and like I think that's actually one of the hardest things to deal with as an athlete kind of getting to a peak and having to drop from it again it's uh it's scary when you know after after like five years of just going up and up and up and
0: you said you you know you moved uh, back to the UK back to Sheffield. Kind of what what was kind of around that decision to move back to the UK?
3: I think I crossed the finish line at walk in Latvia in the middle distance. I was like, oh, I need to move home, but it wasn't it wasn't quite as simple as that. Um, I think last summer I was realizing I needed to make quite a few changes, but um, also it had been coming for years in a way. Um, I mean, I'd been living for seven years straight in Sweden and. Uh, it's it's a long time. It's a really long time. You know, it's uh, most of my adult life, uh, I've been living abroad, and I think when I first moved there, I underestimated a little bit the cultural differences that would be that I'd experience. And and when you move and you move alone, even though I was, you know, everyone was nice, and there's a lot of things I like about Sweden. And obviously, I really enjoyed the training. It is lonely, I, you know. You're living, you know, I was living by myself in a little hut in the in the forest, which sounds it sounds great, and it's great for six months a year, and it's fine for two or three years, but you know, after four, four or five years in Uppsala, I was, you know, I was really ready for a change. I moved to Stockholm, and that kind of bought me a couple more, a couple more years, and mm. still, by the end of that, it was, uh, you know, you can be surrounded by so much forest but you know if you don't feel happy and you don't want to go running in it then it's you know there's no point so yeah um,
0: absolutely was there anything you particularly you missed about the uk um i think i missed the sense of humor
3: <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to sort of to kind of this Sweden or anything, but um, I think it's a lot to do with, because I insist on talking Swedish all the time. I took Swedish at university and mm-hmm. I kind of just like jump straight in like, oh, I'm going to speak Swedish to everyone. I didn't think about how much of what you say is kind of, you know, it's not in actually what you say, it's how you say it. And this tiny little kind of the subtleties and the humour that you that you use when you speak and, you know, when you kind of talk without using that for a few years it's yeah it gets to you and it's it's really kind of it's harder a lot harder to properly um, communicate you know you can get make yourself understood and get know get the basics done and you know ask people how they are and they're like fine and how are you and you're like fine and and it's great but you know if you want to really get to know people it's a lot lot more difficult and i think you know i just i felt it more and more the longer i was there so um yeah i'm just i'm sort of glad to be just back you know somewhere that feels kind of like home and i'm i'm at the other side of yorkshire from where i'm from in sheffield but um it's uh yeah it's good enough
0: (laughs) it'll do yeah that's great yeah, yeah. okay let, let's get back um, a bit to the orienteering you've been on the senior GB team I think since 2012 at least that was that looks like it, that was your first walk
3: that was my first walk yeah um, I did a couple of things before that but the 2012 was really the sort of the year that I I did European champs and I did walk
0: so my question is what's what's been your highlight so far
3: oh it's difficult that's really difficult to choose actually I think there's been kind of I suppose two kinds of highlight and the first one is uh you know the just the pure achievement and especially like i've had most of my best runs at a time when um because i make my i make life so difficult for myself sometimes and um i make you know what's really quite a simple thing orienteering into something very um a lot more difficult than it needs to be and a lot of my best results have actually come um after there's been some kind of other crisis going on that's completely distracted me from uh, mm-hmm. the actual orienteering. And then when you get, you know, you get across the start line and it's, uh, and then suddenly it's so easy and it's, uh, mm-hmm. and that's when I remember best. So we were at the Europeans in Portugal and uh, it's so, sort of, it was the night before the long distance and I just had a complete, absolute disaster in the sprint. Like i have been lost in a castle. <laughs> which was where all the photographers were standing I was just like running up and down like completely panicking it was like it would have it would have been funny but it, it really wasn't very funny at the time and there was yeah I was not in not in a great mood um and uh we had the long distance I think it might have even no it was two days after and um yeah it was two days after and so i was trying to get ready for this long distance and the night before the long distance the uh, the organizers somebody managed to press the wrong button and release the map for the long distance final. Oh, like, i remember this uh, but i think it must have been like it was about dinner time and like yeah. it was already quite like it had been quite an eventful championships it was either Liz or Dave, um, our team sort of management, who said to us, and you were like, really? Really? Mm-hmm. And, like, I was just, I, I was like, I'm so over this. <laughs> I'm just, and we had, so, you know, you were going to bed, like, just not knowing whether there'd be a race in the morning. Mm-hmm. They were, they were sort of like, we'll fix it, we'll fix it. And we were like, yeah, sure. Because <laughs> um,
1: the then, middle so... race had already been uh, avoided, hadn't it, for the qualifiers, to put a control it's... in the wrong place. Yeah,
3: it would just all been, like, a week of high um drama so so uh, it was being woken up at kind of I think about 7 15 by Liz like when I was just like not not really kind of in the mood to race and Liz was like there's a race there's a race you got to go I was like oh I was kind of I was feeling like a a little bit beyond it and like oh I'll just you know go and take myself around I think uh, if anyone reads my attack point from those days it makes quite good reading I think I said something like <laughs> on my training diary like oh I've just given up and I'll go I'll get this done and go back home and uh, I sort of plodded around this course and ends up with Bond's medal I mean I must have must have been moving okay because there's some uh, quite fast girls on who are running but it's always the days that you don't expect and that was a huge surprise and uh I think the other highlights though are just like just the places that you find yourself and it's not it's sometimes it's not you know it's not on the biggest races it's on the like it's on the kind of the weird training camps that you cobble together and like they being on a park world tour in Italy and like finding yourself in on a lunchtime in someone's like wine cellar with Nick Mann, forcing <laughs> Daniel Huffman to do a duet with him <laughs> <laughs> just like what, what have I come to and you know all the, the random places that you go to like you know I don't know much about many of the capital cities in Europe but you know you can I can close my eyes and sort of picture the forest in you know loads of random far out corners of uh, various countries and that's really cool
1: international orienteering is not very glamorous but you do get to see some parts of the world that you would never get to see otherwise and it is amazing <laughs>
3: You get some brilliant free experiences and you get in the you know you get to meet loads of really cool people. so. You know, it's stuff like that that's going to stay stay with me. I think.
0: Well, um, you so you obviously you in in the GB team for a home walk. Not everybody gets to experience uh, compete at a home walk, and hopefully you will be get able to compete maybe at two home walks. Um, what was what was that like? What was that experience in Scotland like? Did you feel any extra pressure or or yeah? What was it like?
3: Yeah, a lot, and um, it was but it wasn't intentional. So it, it was a time like in my kind of, you know, career inverted commerce that it, it didn't feel like it should be like the climax of everything. At the time I was about 26 and it was, you know, I felt like I'd been getting better year on year. And it was like, oh, you know, it's gonna be a few years still till I'm at my best, you know, or should be. Mm-hmm. I never went into it intending it to be such a big, a big thing, but we had, you know, we had so much kind of push from different directions from the federation from our from the national team and, mm-hmm. and not, I mean not in a bad way not in a sort of not in a a way that I think was a hindrance to me at all it was kind of this hype around it sort of built it up into something that actually made me prepare really well for it and my my kind of my year went really sort of textbook in 2015 I was lucky um, you know I didn't have any injuries so I didn't have any major problems and I ended up putting it putting all this effort into it and you know it became a bigger and bigger thing in my head and and I I managed to kind of make a really successful plan and a, a peak for it and yeah it was incredible I mean at the same time like it the energy, the mental energy that it took, um, mm. you, can, you can ask Liz Campbell about the state of me before I ran the long distance, on the, which was on the last day. It was, you know, I was absolutely exhausted. I had four races in the week, uh, two relays and two individuals, and it took so much out of me to, to make sure that I ran well in all of them. I was, uh, I think for me like finishing the middle distance and and then ran the men's race after the women's like so you know I could finish the middle distance have my flower ceremony then like sit on a deck chair with mum and dad and my sister and watch the men's it was it was it was so surreal like
0: (laughs) (laughs) it was yeah it was incredible you can't do that every you can't do that every single walk can you
3: not at all and it was it was pressure but you know it was uh, it was good pressure
0: how is there a particular way that you approach the mental side of the sport oh
3: it's it's the uh, it's the eternal question for me it's like it's the thing that it's uh that kind of you know if i fa- if i found the formula for it because uh, i mean i think i i said earlier you know i i tend to make life difficult for myself <laughs> know I think orienteering like you know the skills that you need are are fairly simple things you know putting a compass on a map and getting the direction and and kind of looking at some shapes on the map and seeing them on the ground they're not you know they're not rocket science and then you know there's the the running bit as well but somehow like you can make it so so difficult for yourself Mm. Um, and it's something that's this is what I found the most difficult all the way through so far and it's it's something that I'm still working with a lot and I think it's I decided it's a lot to do with confidence um you know there's a lot of times I have I have the right idea but I don't quite believe it and that's when I tend to make mistakes you know I tend to be going in the right direction but I just kind of I have my doubts at the last minute and so I get a bit of fear and you lose the concentration and you wander offline a bit and then it you know it all escalates I think it's a lot about being confident and assertive and, and and that's something I need to work with a lot I'm not I'm not particularly assertive for me like recently and especially this year when I've when I've not been able to get that confidence from doing a massive running volume and I've it's been concentrating instead on and going and getting time in Norway doing orienteering in Norway you know how many controls have you done in Norway how many how many have you hit correctly the stronger you can make that kind of base confidence in your techniques for just kind of running in the right direction for the right amount of time and then the the less everything else kind of affects it and the less everything else matters and the more you can just fall back on your your own skills instead of doubting them. I don't know, I think it's it's probably one of those things that gets easier as you get older as well. You get a little bit less, you know, you realise that there's, you know no matter how bad your race was and how pissed off you are there's uh the sun rises on the next day and there's another race that you can go and run then and...
0: well maybe i don't think anyone's found the the right formula yet but um well,
3: you, you know if you did then everyone would win all the time wouldn't they
0: <laughs> yeah they're would having like some sort of like magic spell or something i don't know
3: yeah i suppose that's why i keep going so i want to i want to get closer to finding you know finding the, the trick that works for me and makes me more consistent
0: well so you mentioned Norway um how does the rest of your season shape up
3: um I usually usually I don't look at anything after walk until walk has happened I, I have some vague plans we have to send in our selection availability for the things afterwards at the moment I'm thinking until uh until the middle of August <laughs> I think one of the big things for me was uh, I was I've been instructed to spend at least a month in Norway this year so I've been uh, forwards and backwards to Norway quite a few times in the spring and I'm back there next week uh, for kind of the last 10-day camp um, before work and uh, it has the selection races at the end of it so uh, it could still go wrong but um, hopefully I can come through those okay, and uh, I will have my ticket booked uh, to Norway again in August for work. Um, after I come back from Norway, the plan is to go back to Sheffield for I think maybe a week, a week and a half or something. Yeah, I think it's a week and a half and then I'm up to uh, Scotland for uh, the Scottish six days, except I'm not running all the days. I've had to be a little bit selective because it's, it's so soon before work. Um, so I I'm thinking I'm taking three of the days. Um, as hard races, I might be going to the World Cup in Switzerland, but probably not in uh, China, which is a bit sad, but oh well. Oh,
1: uh, oh China, China's going to be the most fun one of the last yeah, year. Yeah, oh,
3: sure. no, i heard so much about China, but...
1: Uh, it, is, I, it is very good. If, if someone's
3: listening who can uh, pay for a ticket for me to go to China, that'd be <laughs> But otherwise I think I might have to stay at home.
2: Yeah, well that's, that's the problem isn't it? With the lack of funding for British volunteering at the moment we can't just go off on these jollies to Asia all the time can we the squad we've got to slightly pick and choose what we have to do and Switzerland's not cheap
3: yeah Switzerland's not cheap and Norway's not cheap either and because I've sort of put in so much into going to Norway like you know I spent so many weeks in Norway it's really kind of uh really taken it out of me <laughs> this year I had kind of planned to go to China to start with but it's kind of it's looking like I probably have to drop it out of the program now so
2: Ah, oh, that's a shame. Yeah. yeah, I know. Then looking forward to next year, uh, obviously this year has been a forest focus, and there's a few more, and, and then next year has the first split European forest and sprint, and this year you've obviously not been doing sprints at all.
3: <laughs> I tried doing one sprint, it didn't go great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which one was that one?
3: It was the British uh,
1: sprint relay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, mine didn't go well there either. So
2: it was a vintage performance. <laughs> do you think you'll bring any sprint back into your program next year, or keep the focus on the forest?
3: I'm not sure at the moment. And I've been really enjoying doing like how I've been training this year, and mm. I think also I've been you know had it been a, a sprint walk this year, I would have probably not been able to do it because the way that my The way that I've been injured, it's been so much better to run on a soft surface. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one of the decisions that I have to make in the autumn, whether I'm going to um, do more sprint or whether I'm going to actually say my focus next year is on Europeans. Um, And I've sort of been feeling more and more like it's going to be in the forest, but it could all change. I don't know. I don't know yet.
2: Because it's in Czech Republic, isn't it? So those forests, they're pretty nice. Big sandstone pillars, open, fast, runnable. It looks amazing. It's
3: great and I have been like kind of looking forward to having a two-year project almost because this year's been a bit hectic trying to get in all the all the hours that I've wanted in Norway mm-hmm. and I spread that out a little bit and have a little bit of a longer term focus towards the next walk might be quite nice but we'll see how it goes. Uh, I mean I suppose like you know don't really need to make the decision properly till after the winter see how the winter goes. It's not like I'm sort of anti-sprint Per se, like you know, there's been time, there's been sprints that I've really really enjoyed and uh, in the past, and it's also been something that I've done quite well. So yeah, it just depends how I'm feeling, kind of in the spring next year.
2: See, that's interesting because some people are saying you know they'll completely do something else with a, with a split walk or or here and there, but obviously i have i quite an all rounder so and obviously I'm to it. But then walking Edinburgh, obviously what we're talking about with. 2015 being such a big moment and so nice your family there watching and, and friends around and being home, What would you definitely go back to sprint in 2022? Is it, is it something you couldn't avoid?
3: I don't know. I'm going to have to think about it like close to the time, really. It's a strange one. I mean, I went to uni in Edinburgh. I spent, you know, I spent three years of my life there and I, I wish I'd spent more more time kind of loitering in alleyways now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd be good to go good to go back there and of course I think it's going to be a great spectacle but um I'm just I'm not sure I think it, I think when it comes down to it like you know I, I enjoy sprint but it's forest that I can't do without you know it's that, yes. that I first did when I grew up and it's that and that's why I wanted to be an orienteer so
0: absolutely well well thank you very much good l- um best of luck of course going forwards walk and everything as
2: well and that was cat taylor there um, giving us quite a good insight into her life, what drives her and her kind of mental approach to racing and where she'll be over the next couple of years. Um, we spoke just before the interview, Catherine, about Sprint Scotland and, and what that was like for, for myself racing up there. This weekend sees the JOK or Jock Chasing Sprint. Um, this is a, a pursuit style race with a prologue and a chasing start afterwards. It's been run Um, for quite a number of years in Britain. You're heading up to it, won't you? Tell us a a bit about what you're expecting and what you're gonna face.
0: Well, yep, I'm heading up there as is becoming normal with me I am not going to compete I'm going to commentate uh, as it's being televised by the adventure show on BBC Scotland the adventure show in general are doing like a series of live broadcasts of different sporting events and orienteering is their first one so it's going to be super exciting so there's uh as you said will the prologue first um which is going to be, take a ra- place around four or five o'clock in the afternoon and then we will be broadcasting from seven until nine in the evening live um, on friday where we will have the pursuit races so in the pursuit the winner of the first race will start first and then everybody else will start afterwards and normally it is say if you finish 22 seconds behind the winner in the first race you start 22 seconds behind them in in the second race Um, they're doing they're kind of doing a thing to condense the starts so if you finished like less than 10 seconds after the person ahead of you then that's the it's still going to be that same gap if you finished like more than 10 seconds behind um, like slower than the person ahead of you, then it's it's only gonna be 10 seconds. So oh, really? it's really gonna make sure everybody's, there's gonna be somebody going off every 10 seconds or less oh, wow. in this race, which is gonna be very, very intense. But the, the whole idea, the whole format is it's still, even with that condensed start, list blocks for the second race it's still going to be the first across the line is the winner basically so
2: that's that's an interesting way of doing it isn't it that's going to be pretty fast and furious the whole way through
0: yeah so in theory somebody could win the the first race by 30 seconds but they only actually have a 10 second advantage when they go into the chase i think it's going to be really interesting to see how some people actually approach that and how you know how much do they focus on the first race how much do they focus on the second race and yeah i think it's going to be, be really interesting it's also not uh like 100 urban sprint it's some urban some parkland and actually a fair bit of forest mm-hmm. um up on up on the hillside above um calendar park in Falkirk, and i think that's going to be particularly interesting simply because we don't have many forested sprints almost all of the sprints we have in this country are urban sprints Mm. and i think that's going to really make a a difference Uh, so too will the fact will be the fact that it's um actually a forest map chris smithard has mapped it um at one to ten and it's going to be enlarged to one to Uh five for this race which i i think is that that i feel that would throw me more than anything else to be honest um mm. the fact that it's not a, a sprint spec map at one to four hopefully it'll be a really really fantastic production i've had a couple of chats with the producers and i'm really excited to 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 see what it's gonna what it's gonna turn out like i think it's going to be quite different to what i'm used to with um the iof uh live orienteering live streams which are you know not as structured or mm. Uh, We'll be focusing on first the men's junior, then the women's junior, and then the men's and women's open classes where I think in in the men's open, we've got a really, really good field heading up there. Um, We've got Peter Hodkinson, Graham Gristwood, Alistair McLeod, Chris Jones, of course. That'd be really interesting um, to see. how he performs in in this sprint and definitely I think will be what everybody is of course looking out for we've got Murray yeah. Strain we've got Johnny Crickmore we've got Sasha Chaplin so it's a really great field to, I think particularly for this men's race and I think I you know I, I think anything really could happen and then in the, the women's open race we've got Grace Malloy uh she's running Faye Walsh uh Versus the likes of Claire Ward, Helen Bridal, so that's going to be, I think, uh, the battle of the, the the older ones and the younger ones. I think on the Women's Open, mm. and that should be uh, like a really interesting race.
2: So, so give us a winner from each then. Who do you think is going to take the take the crown for the men and the women?
0: Um, I think I think Chris is going to get it on the men's. Um, Like well, Chris has got such a reputation at the moment. Even though a lot of guys there have uh, have proved themselves as sprinters, um, you know, Chris is is just so fast. And I think having hopefully recovered well from uh, injuries that he had like over the winter when he went training um, out in the states, I think hopefully his if his fitness has come back, then I think. He'll be pretty hard to beat. And on the women's open, I want to back uh, Grace Malloy. She's done some fantastic things. Still a first year W20. Uh, remember her running up to do the W21 elite course at the British Long Distance Championships. Uh, she's actually one of a number of uh, the juniors who will be heading out to the Junior World Champs very very shortly. And a lot of them are kind of treating that this as a little bit of final training before they head over de- to Denmark. So, yeah. Grace, Grace, and Chris are they're they're kind of my biggest favourites for
2: for this race. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you on Grace, but I'm gonna throw Scott Fraser in for the men as a yes. bit of an outside bet. I I think he's on the comeback trail. So
0: yeah, it is. Well, w- watch this space. Um, but also coming up, so it's not this weekend when we're recording it next weekend are the walk selection races um yes um the way it works um the gb team can select three men and three women for the middle two men and two women for the long the middle that's because the middle distance has a qualification um and then the final and the relay team so three men and three women for that will what's it going to be like
2: oh it's going to be tough that long distance is going to be absolutely brutal so the, mm. the World Cup long last year in August was slightly shortened. It was an 80 minute winning time, and it was mm. it was really tough. So for anyone who's been out to to Norway after training for on any of the British summer tours, um, the races are taking place just north of Halden, near near Ostfold. and um, the train up there. It's although it's quite nice and open in terms of visibility, you can see quite a long way. All the features are really well defined, and the, the areas are really nicely mapped. It gets pretty boggy when you're in the marshes and there's a lot of heather underfoot just in the white forest. So if you're out there for a full 90 minute, 100 minute long race, it's really quite sapping and it can take its toll. So you need to be very physically physically fit and physically strong. The middle race, obviously, you know, it's first five minutes. You can kind of power through that, but for the long distance especially, you're going to be looking at the, the strong boys are going to be winning that one. So, yeah. So, first up, long-distance race on the Friday. Uh, to be fair, it is completely open this year of who's going to get selected for the long distance. I don't think anyone has really stuck their hand up and and asked to be, or, you know, give, put the selectors in a position where they said, you know, I'm the one who's going to get picked on the men's side. The women's mm. side, I'd say it's a bit more clear-cut, I think, with people like Meg who had such standout performances in the long race of the British champs to mm, say. Yeah. But the, the thing about the selection races is this year, although the selectors could use other form that that we've developed over the season, so either through domestic races like the JK or results at the World Cup, ultimately those results mean mean very little when they're selecting the team this year because we're using these single one off test races mm. in the relevant mm. terrain. So you would expect it to be for the long distance Top two, you're in, and yeah. and for the middle distance, you know, top three for for the men. Um, Ralph Street's already selected for the middle distance, yeah. so there's two spots. So you'd expect you know, top two, outside of Ralph, and uh, you go. So it's quite cutthroat, really, this year. But I think it's going to be a really good weekend, and it's it's going to be quite interesting to see see who who turns up and race as well. Because you've got some people who are a little bit out of left field who are coming to race as well. So. Likes of Duncan Coombs, who was on the podium Mm. at the British Championships, he's going over there to race. He's a member of IL Turving, who is an Oslo based club, so he's got a lot of experience in the terrain, so he could throw up a surprise performance in the long distance, I think. And and people who weren't selected originally for the World Cups as well. Like Hector Haynes, he's been putting a lot of specific training in for Mm. what's been a lot of camps, just like Kat was, um, and she was saying earlier about how many how many trainings she was planning on doing before what in in the relevant terrain and Hector's been doing just as many Pete Hodgkinson and Ali McLeod have been out training on the relevant terrain so there's a lot of people have been putting in a lot of time and dedication to getting the hours in for just this weekend
0: yeah I think it's going to be so tough for those who well just for the battle for the places a Mm. lot of pressure I think it's also going to be down with who can deal with that kind of pressure especially when there's you know normally it's three men and three women but it's the fact that at this world championship, there are only three races. there is only the middle, the long, and the relay, so there are significantly fewer spots available on mm-hmm. the team.
2: yeah, and I think the last couple of years, the Norwegian men at least have raced all of the virus races at what regardless of what they've been doing. so you've got to assume basically us as athletes going into it, we have to assume that. No one's going to be rested during the week, and that mm-hmm. everyone will be racing everything. Because if you don't approach it with that mindset, you might not make the squad. Because you can't assume that you'll be brought in as, as cover if someone else just doesn't want to race the long to rest up for something else. There's a mm-hmm. there's a high focus on the relay in the team as it is. Mm-hmm. And we we feel like that's our best chance of a medal. Yeah. Um, because and we're all quite committed to that goal. And a lot of us have said about how we want to you know, focus on bringing a medal back in the relay discipline and we've had really good results over the last few years in both the men's and women's races being on the podium multiple times in that top six. So it's going to be a really tight battle for the spots um for everyone involved. So myself, oh, I'm aiming for everything. So we'll see what I get. And if the races go well, they go well. If they don't go well, you know, I've, I've had quite a good season so far. So I'm quite happy with, with my results, but obviously I'd love to make the team and, and get back to world champs after not not going last year. So,
0: Do you know when selections will be announced?
2: I imagine they will be announced around about the week after, um, or certainly to the athletes at least they might be announced even sooner, maybe the day after, on, yeah. the, on the Monday after the races, just to give us enough, you know, as much time as possible in case we need to plan extra training camps to get in the terrain for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the panel itself. We're, I'm not sure how long their meeting will take, but they're using a selection for both World Cups later in the autumn and Euro meeting as well, which is a, a B international that's being run in um, Estonia in September. So maybe they'll do the WAP ones first and and tell the athletes about that and then they'll, um, they'll do the other selections as well
0: yes well if they are out in time for recording the next podcast we will of course be bringing you news of who's been selected for the world championships uh nevertheless we'll still be bringing you some results from these walk selection races looking at the chasing sprint and um looking forwards towards um other parts of the season
2: we can at least Uh, guess who's going to be in the team based on the results
0: yes we will make some educated guesses if we don't have the full selections out Um, and i'll try
2: and not to slip up and, and mention people I shouldn't if I'm under confidentiality not to mention anything
0: yeah that's <laughs> right I'll do I'll do all the speculation <laughs> and and then you can tell me afterwards who's got in exactly um, yeah I, yeah yeah we'll do it like that so thank you very much everyone for listening to the run-in as usual you can get in touch with us you can follow us on all the social medias we are on twitter and on facebook at uh, at the running pod uh, please uh, if you have any questions please do send them in we would try and um, answer any any questions any queries you want to have anything you want um, myself or will to chat more about uh, but until then uh, we will see you next time
2: yeah see you next time